morning, everybody. Wouldn't you like to go on a vacation where the Hildebrands live? And I loved what you said, John, about turning normal conversations into Jesus conversations. I think that could be done here as well. In the city of Rome, underneath the city of Rome, there are these massively long tunnels that really are, were cemeteries that the rich people of Rome, the wealthy, used for burying their dead. Those are the tunnels where those early Christians hid themselves during those fear-filled days of persecution when they were taken to the arena and um, mauled by wild animals. They're called the catacombs. And in the catacombs, on the walls, there are etchings that those early Christians used a piece of stone to carve out a symbol. Ichthus, the fish, is there, which was the, the early Christians would meet one another, uh, and they weren't sure another person was a believer. They would take a stick and draw a, a curved line on the sand. If someone else drew the other line to make a fish, Ichthus are, is the, uh, the acronym or the wor- Greek word, and each of those letters stands for Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. So Ichthus, the fish, actually became a symbol of the Christians. And you see the fish everywhere on those walls. You also see the cross, but one of the most common symbols that you find in the catacombs is a picture of a boat, and there are choppy waves, and there are lines representing wind blowing, and a stick figure of a man standing up in the boat with his arms out. Obviously the picture of that story of Jesus calming the storm. Those early Christians facing incredible pressure and persecution, fear, stress, apparently found courage in that story. And we still do. So open your Bible, if you would, to Mark chapter 4. Stories found in all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I want to read it out of Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. We're in a series about questions that Jesus asked. He asked over 300 questions in the Gospels. We're going to only look at six of them. But in this story, there are four questions. The disciples asked two, and Jesus asked two questions. So Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And there were other boats with them. Apparently, Jesus, teaching all day long, was sitting in a boat because the crowd had pushed him to the edge of the shore. He asked Peter, can I sit in your boat? And he sits in the boat, and he's teaching. And right there in the boat, he says, let's go over to the other side. So they took him just as he was. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind, said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, said to one another, Who then is this 
Let even the wind and the sea obey him. Did you catch those questions? Don't you care? Why are you afraid? Don't you have faith? And who is this? And we never outgrow those questions. We still use them. You're a Christian. You came to Christ. You turned from your sins. You put your faith in Him. You're following Him. You know Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, as your friend. He answers your prayers. He meets your needs. He comforts you when you're sad. And then something happens. You find yourself in a storm. And it doesn't make sense. And we think, where are you? Why don't you do something? Do you not even care? And it's easy to talk about big faith when the sea is calm. But storms reveal what we really think about Jesus, don't they? And they reveal something about us. And I think that's one reason these stories are in the Bible, to show us when we're confused or we're angry or we're feeling very lonely, we're anxious, we're afraid, we're tempted that Jesus is with us, He's for us, and He's bigger and better than we ever imagined. So I want us to see how this story, this story helps us. There are three greats. Great storm, great calm, great fear. And it's the Greek word mega, megale. So literally, mega storm, mega calm, and mega fear. You ever go to the Holy Land you probably take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. It's really a lake, just a very large lake. It sits 820 feet below sea level. And on one side, there are mountains that rise up to almost 10,000 feet above sea level. So cold, water, cold air comes out off of the mountains down to hot air rising from the sea. And you get these incredible thunderstorms. And on the western shore, there are restaurants on stilts. And the idea, and there's signs that say, if a storm comes, move your car. Because the parking lot can rise to 10 feet underwater. And you're eating your, eating your meal and your car's floating out in the, in the lake. There are those kinds of storms. This is that kind of storm. And we have lots of ways to describe storms, don't we? Gales, monsoons, squalls, cloudbursts, thunderstorms, gully washers. We say it's raining cats and dogs. Where did that come from? I mean, it just, Mark says it's a mega storm. Matthew, when he tells the story, calls the, the storm literally a seismos. We get our word seismograph from that. It's, this is an earthquake. And he was in the boat. And so apparently he's looking at the shore is shaking. The water is shaking. The horizon is shaking. And he's shaking <laughs> in his sandals. And he, it's interesting. He only uses that word seismos two other times one is for the earthquake that took place when Jesus died, and one is for the earthquake that took place when Jesus rose from the dead. So the way Jesus can forgive our sins and the way he defeats death, he uses that word, and now he uses the word for how Jesus defeats fear in our lives. And there are four things about Jesus that just uh, really amaze me. Here's the first one. He sleeps in a storm. Sleeps in a storm. You know, they found a picture, uh, they found a, actually they found an archaeological dig in 1986. I think there may be a picture of it here, of a boat, maybe the picture's not there, of a boat some somehow dated, there it is, 
between 50 BC and 50 AD, kind of boat that you would use on the Sea of Galilee. So you can see it's really not very big. If you cram 12 guys in it, it is packed pretty tight. So apparently that was the kind of boat that was used by Jesus. And the disciples find themselves in a storm. And here's the question. Why were they in the storm? Well, they're in the storm because they've obeyed Jesus. They have followed what he said. Let's go to the other side. It's evening. It's nighttime. Just a little boat ride on the lake sounds really refreshing. He's tired. Let's go out on the lake. And they are there because they obeyed. And sometimes we find ourselves in trouble, not because we're disobedient, not because we're not following Jesus. Following Jesus can get you in trouble. Following Jesus can put you in places you don't want to be. And Jesus literally leads his disciples into trouble. And sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we find ourselves in a a real dark place, and it's because we have violated scriptural principles or we're not following Jesus. Sometimes it's our own sin and our own foolishness. That is not the case here. Jesus will sometimes lead you into a, a very difficult place. Was anybody better at following Jesus than the Apostle Paul? Was anybody beaten more than the Apostle Paul? Was anybody shipwrecked more and hated more than the Apostle Paul? And some of you are following Jesus, not perfectly, but but you're faithfully following Jesus. And stuff is happening in your life, and it's unexpected, it's painful, it's confusing, and you've got no power to change your circumstances at all. And one thing this story teaches is that Jesus did not come down to heaven to make this world smooth sailing. He didn't come to fix all of our problems. He came to get in the boat with us, to enter into our troubles and be God with us. And the presence of Jesus will never be a comfort unless you understand that. Looks like he planned on going to sleep, brought a cushion with him. When you have a cushion, you intend to go to sleep. When I see you walk in here with a neck pillow, (laughs) it tells me you're not going to make it through the sermon. So in the middle of this pitching boat and crashes of thunder and flashing lightning and screams of the disciples, sting of cold water in his face, he is sound asleep. How do you explain that? Can you sleep on a roller coaster? Could you sleep on the runway when a jet is taking off? (laughs) Oh, yeah. How do you explain he's asleep? Well, he was human, wasn't he? 100% human, tired after a day of preaching. I'll take a nap this afternoon. He's been preaching all day long, teaching all day long. Psalm 121 says, God does not slumber or sleep. So Jesus is doing something only humans can do. He's not faking it with one eye open. He's really, this is the sleep of faith as well. So let me ask this question. When did Jesus fall asleep? Before the storm began or after the storm began? I think he fell asleep after the storm began. Thunder, lightning, waves, I think that's when he went to to sleep. Otherwise, I think the disciples would have come and awakened him and said, hey, hey, uh, there's a storm coming. Don't you think we ought to turn back right now? But they did not. And I think that's, that's why they were so confused and perplexed. Because they knew, he knew about the storm. 
Jesus knows all about the storms that break in our lives, and he has purposes for what is happening. And I don't think you have to be there in the first century to know what was going on in the hearts of those disciples. They are freaking out. Boat's nearly swamped. They can't bail fast enough. It's nighttime. They are seconds from being in the water, maybe drowning in that earthquake-type storm. They don't understand why he doesn't do something, and they wake him up, and they ask, don't you care? Let that hang for a moment. This is more than frustration. Truth be known, they're angry. They have forsaken all to follow Jesus. How could he be sleeping at this moment? You'd think he'd be paying attention. And let's be honest, honest, that's, that's our question too, isn't it? When your family's a mess and your dreams are crashing and your future looks dark and everything is going wrong and you're sinking and it's like God's asleep. He's silent. He's absent. And you go, where are you? Don't you care? And we're not only frustrated, truth be known, we're angry. If he loved us, he would never let us go through this. Why doesn't he do something? And that's the point. He not only allows people he loves to go through storms, he will put you in places where you doubt his love, where you are tempted to doubt that he cares. Why would God do that? Why would God put you in the middle of a storm when you're just trying to be faithful and you're not sure you're going to survive? Why would Jesus put you in a place where you're tempted to think he doesn't care? Why does God bring it into our lives things that we wish were not there? Well, of course, it's a test. It's the way he sifts us and grows us and builds our faith. But I think there's more. He could be setting you up for a miracle. Everybody wants a miracle. Nobody wants the conditions that produce a miracle. Every miracle in the Bible starts with a problem. And the good news for all of us, we're all candidates for a miracle. (laughs) Because you either have a problem or you're sitting next to a problem. Right? And Jesus only can show off his miraculous power when you have a problem that has has to have a miracle. And maybe the greatest benefit of a storm is We learn things about Jesus we wouldn't learn any other way, and we learn things about ourselves. So he sleeps in the storm. Here's a second thing that's just really interesting to me, so amazes me. He calms the storm with just a couple of words. He wakes up, and two amazing things happen. One is he says to the hurricane, he just says, quiet, hush, and be still, literally, be muzzled. This is what a parent says to an unruly child. Sit down. I'll tell you when you can come out. Play again. Jesus puts the storm in timeout. That's what he does. And even more amazing, the storm obeys him like a compliant child. And it happens so quickly. There's a roaring wind. Jesus says, hush. And it's just calm. Dead calm. You live by the water. Some of you have live by the water, or you do live by the water. When there's a big boat that comes by, the waves just kind of continue for a while. It doesn't happen here. Jesus says, be still, and the water's like a hand presses it flat. You can see yourself in the water. It is so calm. No waves at all. This is unbelievable power. This is 
total authority. This is your Lord. Let that sink in. Sometimes Jesus says to the storm, peace be still. Sometimes he looks at you in the middle of the storm and says, peace, be still. Sometimes he calms the storm. Sometimes he calms us. And the disciples are sitting there looking absolutely dumbfounded. It's easy to think if we were in the boat, (laughs) we would have acted differently. I'm not so sure. It's so easy to question Christ's care. So easy to doubt his love and his wisdom. So easy to let worry and anxiety control your life. To play the what if. Dread of what's coming. Here's the third thing. He asked two really strange questions. It's a strange question to ask men who are about to lose their lives. Why are you so afraid? You know, there are two kinds of fear. There's healthy fear and there's unhealthy fear. fear healthy fear serves a, a good purpose. It be, because of some fear, we avoid some bad habits. Someone said if a cat sits on a hot stove, he'll never sit on a hot stove again. He'll never sit on any stove again. We drive the speed limit because we don't want to get a ticket. Fear can be a gift from God to help us with our lives to protect us from all kinds of things. And there's a special kind of fear called the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. So fear in and of itself is not a sin. It's what we do with fear that can lead to sin. And more than any other command in Scripture, we read, fear not. Someone said there are 365 fear nots in the Bible, one for every day of the year. I love the story of a woman who told her husband, when I'm afraid my mouth goes dry and my palms sweat, And he said, why don't you lick your palms? (laughs) So fear is knocking at the door. And Jesus says, don't invite it in. People around you are afraid, not you. People are afraid of what's going to happen with the next pandemic, not you. People are hoarding, not you. Because you know how to handle fear. And he asked that second question, where's your faith? Don't you trust God? The one who's in the boat with him is the same one who said, you are more valuable than flowers and birds. God cares for them. Will he not much more care for you? Oh, you of little faith? Well, what was he expecting? What does faith look like? Faith says, I am a child of God. He is in the boat with me. And no matter how bad it gets, the storm will not last and the boat will not sink. I want you to say that with me. I am a child of God. He's in the boat with me. No matter how bad the storm, the boat will not sink and the storm will not last. See, the critical factor in faith is not how strong your faith is. It's the object of your faith. So imagine you're standing on the side of a cliff and you stumble, rock turns loose below your feet, you begin to tumble down and you see a branch sticking out from the side of the cliff and and you grab hold of it. Is what is important the fact that you know that branch will support you? No. You don't have to know what's important is the strength of that branch. It's not the strength of your faith. It's the strength of the branch. And Jesus is that branch. So what's important is where you put your faith. And there's a fourth question, a fourth um, 
Interesting thing here. He creates a greater fear than the storm. When did the disciples get really afraid? In the storm or after the storm? Yeah, after the storm. Mega fear. So they move from we're going to die to who is this in the boat with us? Who is this who can sleep through a storm and then get up and say three words and everything goes calm? Who is this? You know, people in the ancient world viewed the, viewed the sea as a violent, unpredictable, uncontrollable force. Only God could control the seas. Psalm 65, 7, God stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their ways. Psalm 89, 9, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 93, 4, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Psalm 107, 29, the Lord made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. And what is dawning on them is that person in the boat with them has absolute supreme power over the thing that frightened them the most. Even a terrible storm obeyed him. What's impossible for him? They saw the power of Jesus and they felt something like awe. Something like fear. And I think there's a principle here. Only fear has the power to defeat fear. There is a kind of fear that has the power to defeat other kinds of fear. And when there is a fear of God, a deep awe of God that is central in your heart, there are a lot of other fears that I can be free from. So we just need to understand fear is a way we interpret life. We look at the situation, we look at our abilities, we look at God and we'll respond either with hope and with courage or with fear. Maybe we play that what if game. You know, what if this happens? What if that happens? All the what ifs. Because if, they, if I can figure out what's going to happen, then I can control it. Friends, control is an illusion. 98% of what happens in this world, we cannot control. Life is bigger than we are. Can't control most of what happens. And who or what you believe is most powerful will determine your thoughts and your actions. That storm has immense power. And Jesus simply speaks. The storm doesn't love you. He does. And he's just as wise as he is powerful. And we won't feel his comfort unless we believe every molecule in the universe, even viruses, even cancer, even death is under his control. Do you believe that the one who rules over everything cares for you? Do you believe that? Let's look, look at this question, why? Stoppers didn't ask that question. They asked, don't you care? Jesus asked the why question. What's at the root of your fears? What's driving this? You've seen my power. You know what I can do or you wouldn't have wakened me. What is it that makes you afraid? Why is it you can't seem to trust me? Isn't that at the root of our fears? Tim Keller wrote, if Jesus controls nature, he can let things happen I don't understand. He doesn't do things according to my plan 
or in a way that makes sense to me. But if Jesus is God, then he's got to be great enough to have some reasons to let you go through things you don't understand. His power is unbounded, but so are his wisdom and love. God can love someone and still let bad things happen to them. And then Tim Keller's teacher, Elizabeth Elliot, said, God is God, and since he is God, he is worthy of my worship and my service. I may find rest nowhere else but in his will, and that will is necessarily infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. So I have a homework assignment for you. Over lunch, ask each other, what did Jesus expect those disciples to do in the boat, in the storm? If they had really trusted him, what would they have done? Just talk about that. Really interesting, I'll close with this. I think. This story has some really interesting parallels with the Old Testament story of Jonah. Both Jesus and Jonah are in a boat. Both boats are overtaken by storms. The description of storms is almost identical in both stories. Both Jesus and Jonah are asleep. In both stories, the sailors wake up. They are scared to death. They say, we're going to die. They wake the sleeper up in both stories. And in both stories, there's this miraculous intervention sea goes calm. And in both stories, they're more terrified after the storm than in the storm. They're almost identical except for one thing. Jonah says to the sailors, if you want to live, throw me in the water. If I die, you survive. And they threw him in the ocean. And the ship was righted. That doesn't happen in this story. Or does it? In Matthew, Jesus says, one greater than Jonah is here. In other words, I'm the true Jonah. And someday I'm going to calm all storms. I'm going to still all waves. I'm going to kill death. I'm going to break brokenness. And on the cross, Jesus is thrown into the storm of God's eternal justice. God's wrath on sin. And that storm swept him away. And if you can see Jesus on the cross... And think of what he had to go through to save us through that ultimate storm of the wrath of God. You will not say, don't you care? Because that forever demonstrates his care. So Romans 8.32 who says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? See, the greatest storm in your life is not outside. It's not what's happening to you. It's inside. It's your sin, and you cannot defeat it. Willpower is not strong enough. You cannot defeat it. Only the amazing grace of Jesus, recognizing his sufficiency on the cross and his resurrection, can defeat the greatest storm. That's why we can say all these things were more than conquerors through him who loves us. Now, really, we'll close with this. Max Lucado says when he was uh, six years old, his dad let him watch the movie The Wolfman with the rest of the family. He said he lived to regret that decision. Because Lucado says he was convinced The Wolfman was hiding behind the couch in his living room, ready to eat little six-year-old boys. And the problem was to get to the kitchen from his bedroom, he had to go through the living room. His dad had, dad had taught him, now when you wake up thirsty, don't wake me up, just go into the kitchen, get a glass of water. But he knew the wolf man was in the living room. 
So he said, yeah, and we'd go to the door, stand there, look at that couch, knowing the wolf man's behind the couch, <laughs> back off. He said, finally, he went into his dad's bedroom, woke him up. He said, just like Jesus, my dad was asleep in the storm. He said, I shook him. had sleepy eyes. Dad, I'm afraid. What are you afraid of? I told him about the wolf man. His dad said he would sigh, climb out of bed, and Max would walk right into the living room, into the kitchen, no fear whatsoever. And he said this, I would stand in the kitchen drinking a glass of water thinking, looking at his dad, what kind of man is this? Jesus wakes up from a nap, took one look at the storm, rebuked it. Sea became as still as a frozen lake. Disciples are left saying, what kind of man is this? Could it be, friends, that God views our fears the way Max Lucado's dad viewed his fear of the wolf man? Could it be that all that stands between you and courage is going to your heavenly father? Could it be that God uses our fears to show us more of himself than we ever thought? So I just want to ask this question. Do you know the one who has all power, who cares for you? You believe he can do everything but lose you? Have you come to him and submitted your life to him, turning from yourself, putting your faith in what happened on the cross and the resurrection? Asking him to lead your life. Have you done that? Would you pray with me, please? Let's pray. Lord, these stories that are so familiar to us are stories that we live. And there are stories. And we thank you that when we speak to you, we speak to one who has absolute authority over all things. You are great enough to plan things and do things that we do not understand, that we can trust you. I pray, Lord, that increasingly people here at Fellowship Bible Church will be people who live with courage, and especially the courage to speak out and turn a normal conversation into a Jesus conversation. We just thank you for your power and your love in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team, if you would, to come back on stage. Let's stand together, and we're going to sing. And it's immediately after singing, the prayer team is going to be here across the front. And if you prayed and asked Christ to save you and lead you and forgive you, you really need to tell someone. I hope you'll tell one of us. So we'll be here, and we'll, if we can serve you in some way, we'd love to do that. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hope through life's fearful
Those he saves are his delight. Christ Christ. Precious in his holy sight. He will be He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him as such a cause. grant you the greatest peace as you sit in the fear of his goodness and love. I want to encourage you to stop by uh, right at these doors, our missionary table, meet with uh, the Hildebrandts while they're here, take advantage of that. Find something to sign up for, get plugged in. We love you. Lord willing, we'll see you next week.